Hey, this is Dustin, one of the pastors at Grace Bible Church. Thanks for tuning in to listen to one of our sermons. We hope that this sermon encourages you, inspires you, and compels you towards a closer walk with Jesus and one another. If you would like to learn more about Grace Bible Church, contact us or partner with us financially, you can connect with us at www.gbc.life. Welcome to our church family. We hope that you enjoy the message. Thank you, boys, for bringing this stuff out. Yeah, we got Pastor Cam's going to join me for this discussion today. Open up your Bibles to Romans chapter 6 as we continue in our sermon series called Say What? Uh, We call it that because uh, Christians say some weird things. Um, So we call this series Say What? Weird Things Christians Say. And I would love to do a sermon series on all the weird things Christians say. But we're doing one on some of the very gospel-centered weird things we've been saying throughout the last couple of years as we've been reorienting our lives around the gospel of Jesus Christ uh, and around the Great Commission. And we've said some strange phrases and some strange words that come out of the Word of God. but we, we want to understand what they mean and why they matter for our lives. And we're going to get into a particularly strange one today, one that I've had a hard time wrapping my mind and heart around. We'll get there in just a second. A couple of things that we want to celebrate. Uh, Etienne talked to you about the Global Leadership Summit. Um, we had leaders from all over the community here being ministered to, um, being developed as leaders this past week. But it wasn't just here that it was happening. It was happening all over the globe and in a really special place. Why don't you tell us about that, Pastor Cam? Yeah, not only were we here with about 75 to 100 folks in our local community, leaders, marketplace, faith, community leaders, but also out at Avon Park Correctional Institute, check this out, we had at least 75 guys walking through the same leadership content because we believe, as do the wardens and leadership at the prison, that when leaders get better, everybody gets better, and that if we can find leaders in the incarcerated church to be raised up, In such a way, we can see transformation happen in one of the greatest ways that redemption is supposed to happen. You know, Hebrews 13 reminds us, remember those who are in prison as if you were with them. And we're trying to do that. We're trying to do that. And so that's powerful. And we have a beautiful budding church out there. Yep. Um, And Pastor Cam, I just want to thank you publicly. I know it's glory to God for what is happening out at the prison. But our vision for prison ministry went as far as us just live streaming our weekend services and sending a team out there to serve them kind of as their pastors. Yeah. Um, but God has been doing something bigger through you and the Abide Church family. We've got ministry happening out there almost every day of the week. You guys have a conference coming up. The inmates are doing Global Leadership Summit, man. And I, I, I give glory to God, but I give thanks to you, man. This has been much ado well, to your faithfulness to the Lord, your catalyst leadership. Uh, of the Abide community, and it's awesome, man. Well, and let me and let me shout out a leadership team out at the prison who loves Jesus yeah. more than they love results, yeah, uh, and uh, and they give us not just an open door, a corridor. Yeah, I mean, many of the wardens come to church here, too, which has been awesome, a partnership. And speaking of that, uh, we actually have one of our uh, one of our APCI correctional guys is joining the carousel of teachers yep. um, that we have out of Oakview Baptist Church in Okeechobee. Um, Ansley and I got a chance to kind of kick that off last week. For those of you don't, that don't know, Oakview Baptist Church in Okeechobee unexpectedly lost their pastor. Um, passed away totally unexpectedly. So we reached out just to say, hey, we're praying for you. We'd love to serve. Um, That landed us in, long story short, agreeing to fill the pulpit for Oakview Baptist Church in Okeechobee for the foreseeable future. Say what? Uh, Say what? Yeah, see what the (laughs) Lord's going to do. See, y'all pray that God sends a new pastor their way. Um, But we're getting a chance to minister and care for and counsel this church family through some really hard transition in their lives. And so, um, yeah, be praying for that. And I want to encourage you again, if you live in Lurita or East Lake Placid or East Sebring, you're kind of on this 
into the county, and, and you would consider making that part of your mission field in these coming months. Uh, we're sending a rotation. Cameron, you'll be there next week. Um, Etienne will be there the following week. Steve Trinkle's coming up. I'll go back again. Derek, do we, do Derek, we, Pastor Derek Lambert, First Baptist Sebring, 29th, he'll be out there. Oh, well. awesome. He'll be out there at the end yep. of August. Yep. I'll be back there at the beginning of September. Um, yep. Yeah, uh, Dewey, one of our elders, is out there today. And We'd love for you to be there to wrap your arms around that church family. Love them. Get to know names. Uh, have a meal with them and just see what God is going to do. We'll keep you posted on that, but pretty exciting stuff. And I'm speaking to Derek Lambert and Church Collaborations. Yeah. That's First Baptist Sebring. We've got a partnership with them in a Spanish church uh, that is budding and growing right now. Yeah, God, um, God, God sent us uh, some church members, Jose and Maida Silva. They've been on the mission field for years, and they just had a heart for the Hispanic community. And uh, six months ago, they started a Spanish small group on Wednesday nights. And some way, God allowed them to connect with First Baptist Sebring, which has had a Spanish mission for 20-plus years. And so Jose is over there with his bride right now with some of our GBC folks doing Sunday school. And then they'll rush over here afterwards for the 1130 service. But they just hosted a... Uh, a Hispanic La Familia event yesterday, and they had just scores of Hispanic folks show up downtown Sebring at First Baptist to get book bags and free food and music, and they raffled away TVs and tablets, and really God is allowing us as an Abide community uh, to hopefully create a Spanish church in our community that loves Jesus, that's gospel-centered, and is about making the gospel known to our Hispanic community. Is it me or are our prayers being answered? Thy Amen. kingdom come, thy will be done in the Amen. heartland as it is in heaven. Man, we are, these, heaven is touching earth right now. None of right these things we weren't looking man. for, we weren't asking for these things. God just keeps no. opening up doors, and so we're awesome? so encouraged. Just big Amen. stuff happening all Amen. around us right now. Isn't that cool? And uh, just so you know, like, this, this isn't us telling you, hey, guys, look at what we're doing. No. So you can be proud of your preachers and elders. No, 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 no. This is, this is an invitation to let you know what we are doing as the kingdom of God, as the people of Jesus, as Grace Bible Church. There are, there are many within our church family that have committed to serving out at the prison. Uh, there are many within our church family that have committed to serving with the Spanish church launch. There are many that are at Okeechobee. They're not going to be with us this morning because they're going to make uh, Oakview Baptist Church and Okeechobee their home church for a while to love and serve that church family. Like, it takes all of us. And it's powerful. The Oakview family was so encouraged to see 25 Grace Bible people Amen. riddled throughout the crowd. Some of them went out to lunch with each other and got to know each other. It's just powerful what God can do. But this isn't what we are doing. This is what we are doing. Amen. And so, man, let's pray about it. Ask God if one of those slots is a place that you need to slip into. There's many other things going on, but just be praying about that if that's something the Lord would have for you. But let's pray and let's get into the word today as we look at another mysterious say what um, in the gospel. Lord, we're grateful for your word. You are the one that has authored this word for us, and so we need you to articulate it this morning. We, we need to understand it, and we're going to be talking about some strange stuff. It's, it's hard for us to wrap our minds and hearts around this, but I know that your Holy Spirit can flip the light switch on in our heart in a second. Mm -hmm. Lord, would you declare your word through Cameron and I? Would you open our hearts to believe the word of God in a way that we never have before? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, so, yeah, we are uh, in a series called Say What? We're talking about the weird stuff that we've been saying as we've been reorienting our lives around the gospel. We've talked about things like gospel. What does that mean? Why does that matter? 
for our lives. We talked about what it means to be the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, another mysterious idea that we are righteous because of what Jesus has done. We talked about being made in the image of God and why that matters. And we've talked about discipleship. And if you've missed any of those conversations, you can check them out on our YouTube channel, uh, on our podcast, or on the Facebook page. Just scroll down to that particular week. But this morning, we're talking about, to me, one of the most disorienting ones. Um, and so I had to bring the resident expert up here to help have the conversation because... Um, resident it, expert in weird stuff? Is that what you're saying? Yes. <laughs> we all would agree. We're like, when Cameron saw, we're like, what did he just say? Can he, can he even spell that word? You yes. know what I'm saying? Yes. Yeah, yes. right? And um, we're going to be talking about this wild gospel concept um, that many of us have not yet embraced in our lives. And it's this re- reoccurring, repeated theme in the good news story of Jesus, that we, we, those who are in Christ Jesus, those who have submitted their lives to Jesus as King and Lord, that you and I, that we have been made dead to sin. Amen. That we are dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. How many of y'all believe that? Okay, we about to find out. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I, I, I believe it, but I don't understand it. Because I don't feel dead to sin. I don't act dead to sin. Anybody that knows me well would attest to that. Amen. I don't think dead to sin. Um, as a matter of fact, I grew up, you know, being told that, well, we're sinners saved by grace. You know, I'm just kind of a sinner that got saved and I just keep on sinning, but thank God that I'm saved. Like, but that's not what the gospel teaches us. No. It teaches us that we are saints that sometimes sin. Now, real quick, before we jump into this, um, let me just say this. Like, I know as we've been talking through some of these strange and uh, very mysterious things in the scripture. Some of y'all got to be thinking, well, can't we just like do a sermon series about the four steps to a better me and the six steps to overcoming my obstacles and, you know, the fun stuff. Like, because this is just like heavy stuff, you know. We like coming to church where you give us a list of things to do and put into play in our lives and show us in the word of God how he's going to help fix our stuff. I like them sermons too. I like preaching them and I like listening to them. But like, here, here's what I want you to know as we dive into a conversation like this and through this whole series is like, Man, God gave us his word as a beautiful gift, a love story from God. Literally, heaven touches earth every time you open this thing up. It's a beautiful picture of the love of God displayed for us. And he gave us his word so that we could see him clearly, that we would see Jesus and truly be stunned. And that in seeing Jesus, we would clearly, we would learn to worship him and that our lives would be changed by him. And it's good to have some self-help sermons from time to time. And don't worry, we'll continue to do those every once in a while. But, like, here's the point. God didn't give us his word to help us out. He gave us his word to set us free. Yeah. He didn't give it to us so that we could have the six steps to a better marriage or fill in the blank, even though there's practical wisdom for all that. He gave us his word so that we could be totally transformed, completely transformed. This is why this matters to us. This is why as your pastors and elders, this is why we take the time to unpack these mysterious things because we know more than a self-help sermon about overcoming obstacles in your life, we know that if you can grasp the gospel of Jesus and all of its beautiful nuances, that it will change you. And it will change the world around you and it will change the way you see people in your life. It will change the way you see your circumstances. It will change the way you see God. It will change the way you worship. It will change the way you pray. It will change the way you do you. Because you'll learn to walk in these truths that the life of Christ now dwells within you. And this is truly a new life. You have been born again, reborn. And we've got to learn what that looks like. Mm. So today as we talk about the one I've had the hardest time wrapping my mind around, we're going to talk about what it means to be dead to sin. 
you know, a couple of weeks ago, Dustin um, taught through the whole New Testament. Uh, and in doing so, he unpacked this crazy idea, this disorienting thought that God just isn't for us and with us, but in us. So that he might l- give expression to his life through us. Say what? You know, one of the most disorienting things we can read in the New Testament is what the Apostle Paul says in Galatians 2.20, and Dustin taught on this two weeks ago. Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. Have been, past tense. Paul is talking about an event that happened to him in his life that is connected to something that happened to Jesus in Jesus' life. Let me just say that this conversation this morning, it's going to stretch your noodle. Because your thinker's not going to be able to validate what the Word of God is telling us this morning. Yeah, it will not make rational sense. But your spirit will be able to bear witness to us because it is the truth. And so, Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ, and it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me, as me, through me. This reminds us that Christianity is not about the modification of our behavior. It's not about the improvement of our character. It is about receiving, containing, and learning to give expression to the very life of Jesus, who knew what he was getting when he purchased you from sin, death, and the grave, so that he could live his life through you. Say what? And so this morning, we want to talk about exactly what Paul meant when he said, I've been crucified with Christ. Because according to Paul, when Jesus died 2,000 plus years ago, remember Jesus on the cross of Calvary? Paul says, yeah, yeah, yeah. Jesus died and I died with him. And if you are in Christ, guess what? You died too. We've been saying this a lot throughout this series that um, this, is, this is one of the moments as a Christ follower that when we look at his word, when we see what his word says, we have to make the decision if we're simply just going to believe in Jesus Christ or if we're going to believe him. Hmm. In other words, are we just going to say, yeah, Jesus, I, I believe that. I believe what you've done for me. Or are we going to make the transition of saying, no, 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 I believe you. I believe what you say. And this is one of those disorienting moments in Scripture where we're going to make that decision. You're going to have to make that decision if you simply believe in Jesus or if you actually believe Jesus or if you want to learn to believe Jesus. And that's kind of the journey that we are on in this difficult. Should we jump off with? We, we should, but we, we get to see this disorienting nature of the gospel in the life of Nicodemus. Remember John 3? Yeah. Jesus is like, hey, Nick, like, you want to see the kingdom of God? You need to get a new life. You need, you need to be born again. And what was his response? I have no idea what you're talking about. I can't like, climb back in my mama's <laughs> womb. And. So we know that this is going to be disorienting. So, yeah, let's dive in. Romans 5, end of the chapter. Yeah, let's lead up into chapter 6 yep. and kind of set the framework here. Romans chapter 5, verse 20 and 21 says this. Um, now the law came in to increase the trespass. I'm talking about the law, the law of God. The, the law of the Old Testament. The law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. Glory. So that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign in life. Grace might reign through righteousness leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let me summarize that for you because that's some really, um, that's, that's some deep Bible language right there. Here's what the Apostle Paul is saying. You cannot outsend the grace of God. That's what he's saying right there. We can't possibly outsend the grace of God. All right? And that's good news, ain't it? Amen. 
And some of y'all say amen. I hope that that lifted a weight of burden off of some of y'all's shoulders this morning to think that God couldn't possibly forgive me for filling the blank. I know he forgives, but that one's too much. You cannot outsend the grace of God. The grace is sufficient. Amen. The grace of God is sufficient for you, yes, you, even you. No matter what you got in your past, no matter what your future holds, the grace of God is sufficient. But see, as good news as that is, uh, that also creates a challenge and a problem for most of us human beings who hear that, oh, I can't outsend the grace of God. Well, if I know God's going to forgive me, I'm going to go ahead and just let it slide. I'm going to just do it this time. It's going to help my business out. It's going to help my portfolio out. It's going to help my relationships out. It's going gonna, it's gonna to benefit me in some way. So I'm going to just commit this sin knowing good and well I'm going I'm to meet this legitimate need in an illegitimate way, knowing that the grace of God is going to pay for that sin, is going to take care of that for me. Now, the Apostle Paul knew we'd be sitting in the crowd thinking that when we heard something like, you can't possibly out the grace of God, which is true and unchanging and unfading. But he goes on to tell us in Romans chapter 6, verse 1, the very next thing he says is, well, what shall we say then? If we can't out the grace of God, then what shall we say? Should we just continue in sin so that grace can abound all the more? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Interesting concept. You know, Eugene Peterson, great uh, pastor, theologian, Dr. Eugene Peterson, he's the one who is responsible for writing the message translation. He, he's a, he understands the word of God well. He wrote the message translation so that anybody could have a shot at understanding the word of God. Here's how he puts it in the message translation. Dr. Eugene Peterson says this, chapter 6, verse 1. Uh, it translates it this way. So what do we do then? Do we keep on sinning so God can keep on forgiving? I should hope not. If we've left the country where sin is sovereign or where sin is king, how can we still live in our old house there? If you've left that zip code already and you've moved out, because now you've confessed that Jesus is king, you've moved into the kingdom of God, how can we possibly still have residence in a place that we've moved out of? You already sold that place. You've moved out. You've got a new zip code. That's a pretty picture that Eugene Peterson paints for us. This is the exact same thing that the Apostle Paul says when he says to us, how can we who died to sin still live in it? You have a zip code change already. Mm. Now this, honestly, with you, Pastor Cam, like this is... This is definitely where you come in. Uh, I'll be honest with you. Like, I understand this. I believe this. I can preach this. But I don't feel this. I don't feel dead to sin. I don't act dead to sin. I don't think dead to sin. It doesn't feel like I'm dead to sin. It doesn't feel like my sin nature has been crucified because sin is still so natural for me. Yeah, yeah. You know? And, mm -hmm. I, and so, like, but what we're hearing is this, Clear and bold declaration, and this isn't the only place. This, no. this is one of the many repeat sessions in the New Testament that declare this truth to us, that you have been made dead to sin, and you are now alive in Christ. And so, man, help us understand what it means to be dead, what it is and what it ain't, I sure. guess. Take sure. us down that road. Well, it, it's helpful to understand that, man, Paul's painting a picture of living in something. I, I don't know what you think of when you think of living in something. But Paul's making it very clear that sin is a prince. It was a principal place of residence. It's a place where we lived, where we swam. It was the natural tenor of our lives. We didn't have to think about sinning. We actually planned to sin and to do it as wildly as we could. It used to be home to us, but we have died to it. It's, it's no longer home. But what does that mean? 
And I appreciate you saying that, man. It's disorienting because I feel dead. I, I don't feel dead to sin. Well, let, let's talk about first what it doesn't mean. Yeah. Uh, what being dead to sin ain't. And the first thing is very clearly it doesn't mean that we are now incapable of sinning. Being dead to sin doesn't mean that we're never going to sin ever again. If that was true, Paul would not go on to say in Romans 6, hey, don't present the members of your body as instruments of unrighteousness. We, we still got a choice to sin. We have the capability to choose to make a sinful choice. So what it, mean, what it doesn't mean is I'm now incapable of sinning, that I'm sinless. And it also doesn't mean that I have just finally and forever renounced sin. It's like I just woke up one day and said to God, I'm done. Never again. I'm never going to sin again, God. Or else that would mean us being dead to sin had something to do with our determination, our willpower, our pulling ourselves up by the bootstraps. What we're going to see in Romans 6 is that being dead to sin was a gift, a gracious gift, something that God did to us, for us, in us, and now wants to live out through us. So that's, that's what it ain't. Let's talk about what it is. And the most helpful way to understand what being dead to sin is, is understanding first and foremost that as humans, we have a relationship to sin in a couple of different ways. Okay, look at it up on the screen. Uh, we have a fourfold relationship to sin as far as I can tell from study and research. We, are, we have a relationship to the penalty of sin, to the power of sin, and to the presence and pull of sin. Let, let, let me unpack these really quickly. The, the first couple of chapters of Romans is very clear that, the, that, that we are born into sin. As children of Adam, we showed up with what Dustin said, a nature of sin, a sinful nature. And that sinful nature is our core disposition. It is a natural uh, inclination towards rebellion and mutiny. We wanted to be the king of our own lives. And as a result... God has painted the target of his divine displeasure against sin upon our frames. Paul even talks about in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 3. He says, we were by nature children of wrath. Romans 6, 23, for the wages of sin is what? And what is a wage? It's what I've earned because of my work. And we showed up as sinners. And because we were sinners, the wages was death. And so there's a penalty that needs to be paid. Why? Because God is holy and we are not. Here's the good news of the gospel. Jesus Christ stepped into our place and took the penalty of God upon himself, becoming for us what we were, sin, so that we could become the righteousness of God. So we are dead. You ready? We are dead to the penalty of sin. If you are in Christ, hear me, you will never, ever, 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 ever stand before God guilty because of your sin. And that's good news. Past, present, and future, they were canceled on the cross of Calvary. The penalty of sin has been paid for. I know it doesn't feel like it's it. It's been put to death. It's been put to death. Yeah. It doesn't feel like it. You won't act like it sometimes. And mm, I was about to go off on license. And <laughs> Penalty of sin, we're dead to it. But there's another one, the power of sin. What's the power of sin? Well, it, we didn't hit it in verse 21, but look at chapter 5, verse 21 one more time. Dustin already hit verse 20. Law came, sin increased, grace abounded all the more. 
cannot send the grace of God. Verse 21, this happened so that as sin reigned in death, so now the grace of God will reign that much more. What do you hear in that word reign? Rule. That's the language of kings and kingdoms, masters and slaves. Man, all of scripture makes very clear that when we showed up on planet earth, dead in our sins and trespasses, we were slaves. We were slaves. And what rights does a slave have? None. We were driven about by this sinful nature inside of us. And it reigned and it ruled in us and over us and through us. And we needed a new master. Here's the good news of the gospel. Jesus came to break and render inoperable, inoperative the power of sin in our lives anymore. Destroyed it. Why? Because he went to the cross and died for our sin and our sins. Now, this is important. We need to camp out here for a second. Because there is a distinction in the New Testament, specifically from Paul right here in the book of Romans, that there is a difference between sin and sins, plural. See, sin is the root of our lives in Adam. When we showed up dead in our sins and trespasses, we had a nature that was sinful. And from the root to the fruit. Just like an apple tree bears apples, an orange tree bears oranges, a tree that has sin at its root bears the fruit of sins. 41 times in the book of Romans, chapter 5 through 8, 41 times we read the word sin. You ready for this? Only once is that word sin used as a verb. 40 times it's used as a noun. Y'all catch that? 41 times in this section of Romans, sin is referred to. Only once is it referring to the action of sin, the behavior. 40 times it's referring to sin as a noun, a a presence, a power. And This isn't the only place in Scripture that refers to sin Mm -mm. not as an action or an attitude or a behavior. It refers to it as a presence or a power um, that needed to be broken. And Yeah, Yeah. this isn't the only place. Genesis chapter 4, we know that story. Cain and Abel. The first children of Adam and Eve, and they're both presenting gifts to God, uh, sacrifices to God, and one's accepted, one's not. And what happens? Cain kills Abel. It's where we get that phrase, uh, who, who am I, my brother's keeper? Uh, listen to this in Genesis chapter 4, verse 6 and 7. You, you, you might have never seen this before, but, but I want to give you evidence that this thing called sin, the Bible clearly indicates, is a power and a person, personified entity that is at work. In those of us who were lost and was at work in the very beginning of the story of humanity. Listen to this. Genesis chapter 4 verse 6 says this. The Lord said to Cain, Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face fallen? If you do well, won't you be accepted? Your gift specifically. And if you do not do well, here it is. Sin is crouching at the door and its desire is for you. It is contrary to you. It is against you. You must master it. Sin personified as a power, as an entity that is standing and crouching and sneaking up on you. And it's got desires to enslave you, to rule you, to reign in and through you. And Paul is saying, hey, sin at the center of our being enslaved us. 
But there has been a change of allegiance because of the work of Jesus Christ. And the power of the reign and rule of sin has been broken in our life. Why? Because the king of the kingdom has come. And the kingdom of God is the reign and the rule of King Jesus in the hearts of those who have come to faith in him. And so we are dead to the power, dead to the penalty of sin. And and this is also really important because sin is about identity before it's ever about our performance. Like we are sinners not because we make sinful choices. We make sinful choices because we are sinners. It is our identity apart from Jesus Christ. But when we come to faith in Christ, again, we're not sinners saved by grace. We are saints who now sometimes make a choice to sin. That's why I think that, I mean, our adversary, the devil, loves when we sit back and rail from the stage. Oh, we're just sinners saved by grace. He loves when we say that because we are denying and ignoring a gospel truth every time we say that. Amen. We're not walking in an identity that Jesus paid the penalty of our sins and defeated the power of sin over us so that we could be now saints who just sometimes sin. Um, he wants us to ignore that. He, doesn't, he wants to keep handing us the counterfeit version of the reality of the gospel. But, it, but, it, but it's a real deal that, I mean, the power has been paid, has been defeated. The, pres- the uh, penalty has been paid for, but there's still a presence and a pull of sure. sin in our lives, the other two. Sure, and we, we all know this. We know what it's like to have sin dwelling in us and being pulled to try to get our needs met apart from Jesus. Uh, what the Bible says in Romans 7 specifically, and one of these days we're just going to need to camp out yeah. in a chapter I don't ever want to hang out in, that when we confess Christ, we get a new nature. We no longer have sin at our core. Why? Because as we're about to see in Romans 6, God couldn't fix you in a sinful nature. He couldn't help you. He couldn't rehabilitate you. He wasn't trying to clean you up and put a Band-Aid on you. You were so jacked up, he had to kill you. <laughs> That's he, what he said. And he crucified yeah. you in Christ. Yeah. You've been, you have been crucified with Christ. He had, to, he had to crucify that. There's only two places in the New Testament that speak about nature. Nature, core disposition, the deepest place of who we are. One of them is Ephesians 2 verse 3. Paul says, you were before Christ by nature children of wrath. Why? Because you were sinners at the core. Second Peter chapter 1. Because the great and precious promises of God, we have become partakers of the divine nature. There's been, some, um, there's been some analogies that I've picked up, some from you, along the way that have helped me understand this principle of being dead to sin and alive in Christ, even though I still feel the presence and the pull sure. of sin in my sure. life. And um, I, I think about, um, we've got folks in our church family that are formerly incarcerated. They spent time in prison, uh, some, some longer than others, obviously. And there, there's a reality for uh, a, a former inmate who is now coming out of prison back into the free world. It, it's not as freeing as an experience as what you might imagine when you watch a movie and see a prisoner and get set free. Uh, sometimes transitioning out of prison oftentimes is harder than it is to transition into prison. Uh, because even though that particular person has now been set free, the penalty has been paid for, the, it no longer has power over them, they've been set free, they still feel imprisoned in a lot of ways. It's called institutionalism. Absolutely. Like, it, it's difficult to walk into a room with this many people and not be looking over your shoulder wondering if somebody in here knows your story. 
and what you've done. It's, it's, even though you've been set free, you don't always feel free. It takes a while of walking in that freedom to start to feel free, think free, act free, and so on and so forth. Some of y'all can attest to that or you have family members that have been through that. That to me is such a, a natural picture of what we're talking about, of this supernatural thing of being made dead to sin and alive in Christ. We're just going to have to start walking in what's true so that we can start getting comfortable in this reality in our lives, just like a prisoner set free. Well, and the reason that's so difficult for some of us is because we've, we've logged so much mileage dead in our sins and trespasses that we have created such ruts of habit patterns of thinking and feeling and acting, getting our needs met because Jesus wasn't a part of the picture, that when we come to faith in Christ, those ruts don't go away immediately. It still feels natural to get our needs met by walking out a path and a pattern of sin because that's how we used to get our needs met. But praise be to God that in Christ we have some options we never had. That's why there is a battle between the flesh and the spirit. And here's the good news of the gospel, that even if we walk in the flesh and make a choice of sinning, we're still forgiven. The grace of God has covered that sin. And that is never a license to continue living in sin. Why? Romans 6, verse 2. How can we continue in sin? We've died to it. We no longer live in it any longer. And so the Bible talks about our core disposition being put to death. And we were raised to walk in new life. But sin still dwells in our members, in our flesh. And it's still operative. And there's still this battle that's going on. But listen to me. In the deepest part of you, if you are in Christ, you are not a sinner. Because your identity has been exchanged. It's been renewed. Yeah. You know that. That is mega disorienting. Isn't it? Yeah, it is. I've got a couple of analogies that I've picked up over the years, one of which from you that really helped me wrap my mind around what that means. But just, just as a side note, uh, it's not just disorienting for the person who is new in their relationship with Jesus who has deep ruts of sin that they've been walking in for a long time. Man, you said you may have a lot of mileage in these deep ruts. and I'm thinking about even as someone who I've got plenty of sins in my life for sure, but even as someone who's grown up around the church environment, I've been a believer most of my life. Like, I've got a lot of mileage of bad belief mm-hmm. that makes it hard for me to wrap my mind around. I've got mm-hmm. a lot of mileage of doing something dumb and saying, oh, God, please, 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 please forgive me, not realizing that he said, oh, I already did that 2,000 years ago. Mm-hmm. You know, you Amen. need to learn to walk in the freedom that you've already received. That's yeah. the new news to me because I always yeah. felt like I had a sin account that I needed to get paid for. Some of you Catholics, you go talk to your, your priest. Uh, some of you felt like you, you got to come down to the altar and confess that sin or whatever. It's like, yeah, we, we do need to confess sins. The scripture tells us to confess sins to the Lord for he is faithful and just to forgive. But like just this disorienting idea of like never really walking in the freedom of Christ because I always had something hanging over my back that I was guilty for or ashamed of. Yeah. And man, the power and the penalty of sin just loomed over my life. But yeah. no, we've been made dead to that. That's yeah. already been dealt with and done away with. You, you said something one time in a men's Bible study that I actually wrote in the margins of my Bible. You talk about this identity crisis. You said, I wrote this right above Romans 6. You said, if I stub my toe, (laughs) this is so stupid. Uh, But it helps. It helps, though. It really does. This man says, if I stub my toe and get a splinter in my flesh, wood gets into my flesh. If I stub my toe and wood gets in my flesh, does that make me a totem pole? Or do I just have wood in my flesh? 
Let me say that again for the people in the back. Make sure some of y'all are like, huh? Yeah. Um, if I stub my toe and get wood in my flesh, does that make me a totem pole? Or does that mean I just got wood in my flesh? You screwed that up. Listen. Oh, what? Come if on, I get man. It, I thought, if how I get, did I do? Do y'all get what I'm saying? You, you, <laughs> the word splinter is more helpful. If I get a splinter in my big toe, does that make me a totem pole or do I have wood dwelling in my flesh? Okay, that's better. Sin, sin is dwelling in my flesh. And I, I don't, I confess, I don't know what all that means. But it doesn't change the core disposition of who you are. But it doesn't mean that I'm a sinner. I am a saint. Sometimes sins. Got wood in my flesh. And discipleship is learning to orient our lives around a Christ consciousness, not a sin consciousness. Not looking for sin. Not looking for every time I blew it. That's the enemy. That's the voice of the enemy. If you wake up and you try to think of, how am I going to sin today? If you go to bed at night and you try to think of all the sins that you committed so that you can try to get right with God. I, I even went so far and told people, listen, I love you. Stop asking God for forgiveness. And if you do, you better quickly thank him for the forgiveness you already have in Christ. And some of the only, I mean, there are days where the only cry I can get out to is, God, forgive me. I blew it again. And thank you that you already have forgiven me. See, the enemy's goal is to try to get you to become something that you already are. If you're in Christ, you're forgiven. Yeah. You're holy. You're blameless. You're beyond reproach. You are already like God. That's why the enemy came into the garden and said to Eve, hey, eat the fruit and you'll be like God. She already was he created already in created his image. image yeah. And you, you won't always feel that way or see that when you look in the mirror. But again, this goes back to this reoccurring concept. Hey, Grace Bible, do you just simply believe in Jesus or do you believe Jesus? He's going to say some things of you that are so disorienting. There's some gospel truths that are true of us that it just doesn't make rational, natural sense to us. But it's because we serve a supernatural king that's done a supernatural work. Don't expect to be able to arrive intellectually at everything that he has said of you to be true. Part of it is just walking in it, believing it to be true, and letting your emotions get caught up. As you learn what it looks like to live in the freedom that we have in Christ Jesus. As you learn what it looks yeah. like to walk in the new identity of being dead to sin and made alive to God in Christ Jesus. You know, one of my favorite analogies that I asked, I asked a, a guy who used to work here at church with, his name was Casey, just brilliant on illustrations. I said, Casey, how do you illustrate that? This very mysterious concept. He says, you know, Dustin, if you woke up tomorrow morning and you decided you wanted to go buy a new, you needed a new vehicle, so you were going to go buy a new Saturn, that wouldn't be an option for you. You know why? Because they shut the factory down. The factory's dead. Now, it doesn't mean you can't go get a used one, and it doesn't mean that when you're out on the highway that you won't get passed by Saturns from time to time or that you might even drive a Saturn from time to time. Some of y'all may drive a Saturn, but here's the deal. Like, if you wanted to get a brand new one, you're out of luck because the factory is dead. It's been shut down. And to be honest with you, since the factory's dead, eventually all the Saturns that you're seeing on the road, when people stop driving them, when they stop doing maintenance on them, when they stop getting in them and keeping them up and running, eventually they're going to die too. And eventually Saturn will just totally be no more. And that reminded me, like in this sin struggle in my life, you're like, yeah, man, the factory is dead. He, he paid for that. He defeated that. And so what we're learning, I still see the Saturn sin riding around in my life all the time. I, I hop into it and drive. I'll even do maintenance on it to keep it going because I like certain sins that I do. But I'll tell you what happens, like 
those parts are going to get more and more expensive. They're going to get more and more rare. You're not going to be able to keep those cars on the road forever. Hmm. There's a whole new identity, and that thing has been dead for a long time. And so, like, I see this picture that helps me well, at and, least. And, and we've been talking about this for the last couple of years. The gospel, past, present, and future. I have been saved from the penalty of sin. I am being saved from the broken power of sin that tries to continue to exert influence on my life. And one day I will be saved from the presence and pull of sin. When Jesus returns and gives us resurrection bodies free from indwelling sin, we will no longer feel this presence and this pull of sin. It's However, good the, good, the good news of the gospel is that while we still battle against the presence and pull of sin in Christ, again, we've got some tools that we didn't have previously. Yeah, Joined to the spirit of Christ, we have options that we never had. Yeah, First John 4. Yeah. man it's a yeah. reminder that greater is he that is within me than he that is in the world amen probably amen. the mis, mis, most misquoted verse in all the bible now, 1 corinthians 10:13 tells us no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man god is faithful and he will let you he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability notice that it says tempted not that he won't put more on you than you can handle. That's how people quote the verse. That's the wrong, that, that ain't even in the Bible. He's always going to put more on you than you can handle. Amen. So that you recognize that he's the only one that can handle it. That's the point. But he says that we'd never be tempted beyond our ability. But with this temptation, he's also going to provide ways of escape that you may be able to endure it. That's 1 Corinthians 10, 13. Okay, so how did this happen? We're out of time, but let, let me just fly by Romans chapter 6. I want to encourage you, if you've never memorized scripture, Romans 6, 3 through 10. It's a game changer. Let, let me read this to you. Romans 6, verse 3. This is, what, this is how this happened. How we've been crucified with Christ. How we got dead to sin and alive to God. Romans 6, verse 3. Paul says this. Do you not know? This is something we need to know, folks. This is 101. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? He ain't talking water. Don't think about water here. The Greek word is baptizo, and it means to immerse and to plunge and to dip and to saturate. I've taught on this before. Remember I had a bucket a couple of years ago with a bunch of yellow paint and I had a white napkin or T-shirt or something? And I said, what do you think is going to happen if I dump this in the bucket full of paint and pull it back out? And I did it. And it went in white, and it came out yellow. Why? Because whatever happened in the bucket happened to the white shirt. Here's the principle that Paul is teaching in Romans 6, 3 through 10. When Jesus died, you died. When Jesus was buried, verse 4, you were buried with him. And when Jesus was raised to walk in a brand new life, you were raised to walk in a brand new life in him. We're talking spiritual truth here. Your mind isn't going to be able to validate this. None of us were alive 2,000 plus years ago, were we? How in the world could Paul have been crucified with Christ? I'm glad you asked. Okay, come on. Come on. No, you don't need to do come on, this. Come man. on. No, I got to do it. You ain't in that kind of shape no more, Okay, brother. come on. All right. You know what I'm we got insurance and my wife is nervous. Listen. And I got the worst seat in the house now. If I... All right, bring it back in. Y'all are so mm. dirty. Okay. God is eternal. He had no beginning. He has no end. And he's timeless. He lives outside of time. Imagine God up here in his heavenly helicopter looking down upon what we call time. You tracking? God has always existed. There was no beginning. There will be no end. So for God, 2,000 plus years ago, on the timeline, to God, it's right now. 
2003, when I confessed Jesus as my Lord and Savior, guess what? To a God who lives outside of time, it's right now. And so when I confess Jesus as a senior in high school, God spiritually baptized me into Jesus Christ 2,000 plus years ago so that when Jesus died, I died. And when Jesus was raised from the dead, I was raised in new life. My sinful nature crucified. You know how I know that to be true? Look at verse 6. We know. You got to know this, folks. Verse 6, Romans 6, 6. We know that our old self was, past tense, crucified with Jesus in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin for the one who has died has been set free from sin. My old self, my old sinful Selfish, hopeless, helpless, hell-bound life that God could not and would not fix. He crucified it in Jesus, and he raised us to walk in new life. That's what he meant when he looked at Nicodemus and said, Brother, you need to be born again. You need a new life. This is what Paul means in 2 Corinthians 5.17. Therefore, he who is in Christ, new creation, dead to sin, and alive to God in Christ Jesus. And then we come to verse 10, and this is where we've been trying to, man, teach a truth that only God can turn the lights on. Look at verse 10. Jump down to verse 10. Here's what he says. For the death that Jesus died, he died to sin once and for all, and the life he lives. Talking about Jesus here. The life he, where's Jesus living right now? Where's Jesus? Where is he? In us. Jesus longs to live his life in you. As you, through you, the spirit, the fruit of the spirit on display in and through you, your mortal frame, your personality, your weirdness, your quirks, your zip code, your DNA, your income bracket, your family, your marriage, your kids. God longs to live his life through you. Jesus is in us. He wants to live his life through us. Now, why is this important, man? Well, verse 11, man, yeah. is the first command in the whole book of Romans. Underline this in your Bible. Up until this point, he has been describing who God is and what God has done. And then he turns his gaze on us. Paul does in verse 11, says, so you also must consider yourselves dead to sin. You must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Could that be any more clear? Mm. You, must consider, you may not understand it. You may be having a hard time wrapping your mind and heart around it. But he says, because of this, because this is true, we must consider ourselves to be dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Why does, why does this matter? First of all, like this is, this is on repeat throughout the New Testament, hoping that every, everybody that understands the gospel is going to come to the point of realizing this incredible gospel truth. We see it here. We see in Galatians 2.20, you, you have been crucified, past tense, with Christ. It's now no longer you that live, but it's Christ that lives within you. Colossians chapter 3.3 says, you have died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. It's like this very powerful and mysterious truth that is declared over us. So we are to consider ourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. And why does this matter? Why does this matter for our everyday ordinary stuff? Without even telling you, I can just continue to point you to the word because the word wanted to make sure we understood it. The word of God told us in Romans 8.1 right after this. That there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. You know why? Because you've died to sin and you are alive to God in Christ Jesus. 
There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. This is why Galatians 5.1 says, hey, it's for the sake of freedom that Christ came to set you free. So you don't have to be so easily entangled again by the yoke of bondage. You've been set free. This is John 8.36. Jesus told us that there would come a day. He says, when the sun sets you free, you will be free indeed. So in other words, like why this matters, being dead to sin and alive in Christ, guess what? Grace Bible. You don't have to put on your overcoat of guilt tomorrow morning when you wake up to go to work. Amen. Amen. You don't have to put on the overcoat of guilt when you're preparing to love and minister to your children knowing that you just really fouled it up royally and they saw it the other day. You don't have to package up your shame and stick it in your briefcase before you start your day to carry that with you any longer because there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You know why? Because the death he died was once and for all, and we were crucified with him. Yes, and Lord. the life he lives is once and for all, and we've been made alive with him. Amen. It may not feel like it. You may not see it when you look in the mirror. But the question is, do you simply just believe in Jesus, or do you believe him? Because he's declared these truths over you, and he longs to set you free. Right. I love how Paul kind of uh, summarizes this in verse six, seventeen, uh, chapter 6, 17, and 18. I, No commentary necessary. I'll read it and then we'll pray. But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves to sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And having been set free from sin, you have become slaves of righteousness. Let's pray together. Jesus, thank you for this work that none of us could have done, but you've done it for us, in us. And you long to live it out now through us. God, as a mentor of mine once told me, often our feelings will catch up on the other side of our confession, our agreeing with you, God, that we are who you say we are and what you say is true about us is true. Even in the face of apparent contradiction, God, may we get really good at confessing and agreeing with you that we are who you say we are. And God, would you so convince us of our need of one another in order to be held accountable to these truths, believing it, preaching it to each other, reminding one another who we are in Christ, calling the best out of one another, speaking to the new man and the new woman in one another. God, we need one another, and you gave us to one another. So help us to be a community on mission together, reminding one another who we are in Christ, dead to sin, dead to shame, dead to guilt, dead to condemnation, and alive to God in righteousness through the power of Christ. We give you glory this morning in Jesus' name.